Yes, my name is Shachi Das, and I'm the host of the Mevo Show podcast. But more importantly, I hail from Atlanta, Georgia. I had a really great career in the entertainment industry. My father died by suicide when I was a really young girl, and I almost took my own life in 2015. I don't want y'all to feel sorry for me. I got the help that I needed. I'm here today living testimony, right? That God is good, and you can also get any help that you need. A lot of people in our communities are stressed out these days, but know that hope is always alive and help is always there. And so that's why I decided to start my own personal podcast, The Mebo Show. Mebo stands for MI for Mind and BO for Body. And so we're just so honored and grateful to be here today. And season one of The Mebo Show is dedicated to Hip Hop 50. Any hip hop fans in the audience? Any hip hop fans in the audience? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. So August 11th marks the 50th anniversary of hip hop. And on the Mebo show, we look at the intersection of health and hip hop and how music and culture and other hip hop artists can have a positive impact on health and wellness in our community and how we can ensure that what hip hop is around for another 50 years, y'all, that's what we want, right? All right, so today on this episode, I'm so excited. I'm gonna be talking to someone that I've known for probably over 20 years. I'm a fan of his music. Our first guest is an American rapper, record producer, scholar, activist, and an awesome actor. Let's give a big Mebo show welcome to my dear friend and somebody I love and respect, David Banner, Banner, Banner. Hey, on that song. Thank you. Thank you very much. Indeed, indeed. And last but certainly not least, also joining us, he's now a friend of the Mebo Show. This is his second podcast he's been on. Dr. Javaris D. Swain, he's a medical executive at Johnson & Johnson and is clinically trained as a transplant surgeon and in his work in health equity, he is passionate about bringing, about bridging rather, the gap of health disparities among people of color. So y'all give it up for Dr. And y'all, look at this from the outfit. He got that nigga Fuji shirt on and this man on a target field plan, okay? Brother, it's the lot. So y'all ready to get into it? Let's go. All right, so let's talk about this mind and body wellness. So according to Google, statistics tell us that 25% of African Americans seek mental health treatment compared to 40% of white Americans. Unequal access to care is one major contributor to this disparity. Nearly 10% of black people in the U.S. do not have health insurance compared to 5.2% of non-Hispanic white people. So I want to ask you, Dave, at first, can you talk to us and share with us your journey to mental wellness? And when did you first discover any challenges and did you go to therapy? Well, I'll, I'll say that um, for me, it was about 15 years ago. Okay. You know, growing up in the streets, you know, you always talk, well, actually in black culture in general, you always talk to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You know, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. My mentor is maybe one of the most successful um, black men in America. And I was talking to him about something and he said, why don't you talk to your friends that are your age? And I was like, because I was always taught to handle it myself and right. hold it in and nothing about that is healthy. That's right. You know, and so 
about, I'll say about 15 years ago, uh, I had everything, you know, still have a lot. And uh, cars, the, the fame, all of those types of things. And it still didn't feel right to me, you know. And uh, I had a friend that introduced me. Actually, the director, very famous actor, Bill Duke, introduced me to Transcendental Meditation. And, you know, all of my friends, all the homies thought I was tripping. And it brought me a certain level of peace. And from that point, it opened up, you know, the suggestions to get a therapist. And I'll tell anybody that's here, if you have any type of way to get to you a therapist. Um, and one of my therapists said that, one of my therapists said that if your friends, if you could talk to your friends, you know, even though they're not trained, you go to somebody that's trained. But like, if you could talk to people and know that just secrets would stay with your friends, and that that would help people be a lot more healthy too. So I would say about about 15 years ago. Now, was that scary for you going to therapy? Like, what was it like? Because I know a lot of people, anybody, you know, show of hands, I know I go to therapy at least once, twice a week. Anybody ever been to therapy? So it can be scary though at times, right? For adults and even for children that go with their parents to even ask for that help. So were you afraid to even kind of reach out or what was like that first session like for you? Well, I was hurt so bad at the time. To be honest, y'all, anything, you know, besides, you know, the obvious like drugs, I hurt myself, I was willing to try. And then I realized as a people, we go to clubs where we know people are dying. We go places and we take chances on stuff that's so minuscule and small. Why not take a chance on something that's going to help your life? You know, so I got to the point where I realized that I had opportunities and I had access to things that people in my community, I'm from Mississippi. I had access to things and places that people did that it would be almost disrespectful to the blessings that God gave me if I didn't take advantage of it. And I'm brave in everything else. I speak up against this system. You know, I go places and, and, and do things and the type of music that I perform and living the lifestyle that I live, you know, walking out of my house is dangerous. Why should I be afraid of anything else? Especially something that can help. Absolutely, no doubt. So I want to go to you next, Dr. Sway. Can you talk to us about the challenges in the black community and the hip hop community around mental health and why are there health disparities and lack of access to care in our community, especially because a lot of artists don't have insurance? Absolutely. And I think, you know, David pointed to it, you know, a lot of times it's the stigma and our cultural nuance of feeling like if you need therapy or if you have a problem, you're weak. And I think that's something that we have to learn to overcome. But then in addition to that is the lack of access. And I think access is the biggest challenge, not only for mental health, but also for physical health. Like we don't have insurance. We don't have providers that look like us. There's not enough workforce diversity to really help provide people who can relate to the experiences. I think growing up in Mississippi or growing up in the inner city, those are experiences that are very nuanced. And so the type of therapy that's going to be helpful and meaningful is gonna be the therapy that allows you to have conversations that speak to your experience. And I think what we'll find, especially with artists particularly, uh, they tend to hide in their music, in their artistry. 
and you'll see that they'll use music as an opportunity to tell their story or to tell the world about the trauma and the experiences they've had either through childhood or as they're growing up. But what we've come to learn and understand that while that is a way or an outlet to express yourself, it doesn't help solve the problem. And so we have to now find resources in the community and partner with organizations like Johnson & Johnson and others to try to help bring the access to where people are. And I think this is just a start with the Meebo Show. Absolutely, and that's what I love about Johnson & Johnson, their commitment, right, to health equity, to make sure that everybody, you, 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 that we all have access to good mental health, right, and physical health care. So I love that. I want to go back to you now, David. So a lot of hip hop artists like Kid Cudi, and we just spoke yesterday, you opened up as well right around the time Kid Cudi did. Lil Wayne, DJ Drama, I know I talked to DJ Drama, I have a, a, a foundation, a nonprofit called Silence to Shame as well. Talked to DJ Drama just recently about um, his struggles, Big Crit talks a lot about his struggles, and so many more are starting to open up and share around mental health, depression, anxiety, and trauma. And so. I love Kendrick Lamar's last album because I really felt like it was an ode to mental health. Like almost every single track shared so much around his struggles. Why is it so important, David, that artists open up and share their personal stories and lived experiences and sometimes stepping away if you need to? Well, I'll give you all the personal story. Um, I was also one of the first people to talk about high blood pressure. You know, and I came out, told people, you know, that I had high blood pressure and I was taking uh, medicine and it was crazy. Like, how many dope boys came up like, man, I'm on high blood pressure medicine too, man. And if, if you're taking your pills, I'm going to take my pills. And it made me feel good to be able to touch my community in a way that a lot of people would not because of my background. And people knew that I came from very similar backgrounds. And if I was brave enough to step up and say that, you know, this is something that's going on in my life, then it makes it easier for somebody else. A lot of times people feel like, you know, to be able to open up or to really be able to talk about these things that you're weak. But that's actually the strongest thing that you can do is be vulnerable. Because the thing is, is that you really talk anyway, it don't matter, matter whether you crying or you opening up or whatever you doing. It's what you're willing to do in those moments that make you whatever you say you are, right? So for me, I think it's important for artists because so many people look to them for having the answers. And I personally think we put too much pressure and give too many, uh, too many opportunities to raise our children to artists who have never shown you that they had a capacity or are trained. Cause I know that this is not about mental health, but I do want to say this, like we allow artists and we allow people to, to, to get into politics. You know, I remember one time when they were talking about the water situation and they brought me up to talk about water. And I said, like, I, I, I didn't go to college for that. And we give responsibilities to people who are not trained and who are not ready and who did not ask for that, you know, that those responsibilities. But to just be able to open up and tell somebody what's going on in your life, you are trained for that. You know, so I think it's very important when, when, when you have that type of power to give a level of vulnerability and tell people that it's all right. And stepping away. Yes. Right. Stepping away, y'all. 
a lot of people get up here and tell you the right things. I'm not, I'm the worst at that, you know, and my mentor actually told me that. He said, son, I think you, I think you're running from something. I'm reading a book right now that's called The E-Myth, and the E-Myth is why a lot of, of small businesses in America fail. And one of the things that they say is that when you're talented or when you know how to do a lot, a lot of times that's, that's a hindrance to your business because you'll do everything. And I was one of those people. I produced, I rapped, I financed everything. I literally did just about everything in my company. And it was hard for me to step away. One, because I was doing everything and because I felt like if I wasn't there, that it wouldn't happen. What I will tell you, if you do feel like that God has blessed you and that you feel like you are the person for the job and you have the right team, it is your responsibility to step away because then you can move out of God's way and allow God to do he, she, or its work. And then allow your, then you have a chance for your team to prove to you that they're worthy because they're working without you. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for that, David. And, and I'll share a little bit, like even for me, y'all, I was making almost a half a million dollars a year. I was executive vice president of marketing at Universal Motown. I was stressed out. I had some physical health challenges. I couldn't take it anymore. So in 2010, I see my dear colleague, Colby Cole here in the audience, my mentee, Shannon Henderson, who is Miss Houston. And then he was some of my colleagues, right, at Radio One. And, and I was thought I was living the dream, but I was really hurting on the inside. And so I did a really tough thing and I stepped away. And I gave myself the grace and space and time that I needed to heal. And although things didn't get back to normal very quickly, you know, over say a, a five to seven year period, you know, my best friend also took her own life in 2014. So I went through a lot and, um, I, I just encourage you though, to take time to step away. I'm not saying, you know, leave job, you know, quit your job or do anything like that. But, but you know, if you have a disability or if you have those mental health days, take a, need a break, take that break so you can recenter yourself. It's so important. And I absolutely love the work that I do now to be able to heal and pour back into the community. So I just encourage you all, if you're going through anything, know that you're not the only one going through it and don't be afraid to open up and share and, and talk to someone. That is so very important. So Dr. Swain, how does this help our community when artists or executives or family members are more vulnerable and transparent and open up and share? And what is Johnson & Johnson doing in our community to address mental health? Well, I think first, Shanti, we have to do with exactly what you are doing here now and what David is promoting is just, you know, we need to normalize vulnerability and being transparent and showing up as our authentic self you know, so often, you know, we, you know, kind of have a culture of shaming and canceling and what we don't realize those are things that perpetuate mental illness in a lot of spaces. And so really just opening up more and showing kind of a, a, a spirit of togetherness and being your brother's or sister's keeper and checking on each other. You know, my friends and I, we have this text chain that we often send out what we call welfare checks. And so we'll just type that in just to see how each other is doing. And I think that a small little kind of way forward just to see that text message, you'll kind of have someone give them comfort in opening up. Now, as far as like, you know, corporate responsibility, I think, you know, we can do our part as far as like being neighbors and friends, 
but we really have to look at society and the corporate makeup and challenge them to move the needle in a different way as well. And Johnson & Johnson has heard that call and because of that, we're showing up. I mean, we have here today, many of our representatives who are just here volunteering because they believe in the mission of the National Urban League. But more importantly, we want to push the efforts of health equity. We have our Office of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion. You'll see folks around with My Health Can't Wait. And these are all initiatives that are in the community now where we're looking to partner and leverage resources because part of the challenge is we don't know what's out there and what's available. And so Johnson & Johnson has over the next five years committed $100 million to say, hey, wow. we want to partner with you. We want to leverage with you to bring these resources to the community. Whether you have mental health challenges, physical health challenges, or the like, we're the largest global healthcare infrastructure in the world. And because of that, we think that it is our commitment to lead the way. And that is why we take efforts like you're doing and the efforts with the National Urban League, we take those serious because it's an opportunity for us to bridge the gap to health equity. And I think as we continue to do that, we can now normalize mental health and mental health days and normalize people of color going to the physician and actually having an opportunity where it's normal to say, hey, I know what my blood pressure is or I know what my hemoglobin A1C is or checking on your friends and saying, hey, did you take your medicine today? So these are all things that we're looking forward to try to move with. That's so awesome. And, and I just feel like, you know, certain people, you know, they talk the talk, but, but Johnson & Johnson is really out here in the community. That's why they're sponsoring the Community and Family Day stage. I want to shout out Kim Crawford and her team, the DE&I team. Y'all give it up again for Johnson & Johnson because it's so important and critical that we bring these conversations to the community. I want to go back to you now, David, too. One of the things, anybody ever heard of the word stigma? Stigma, right? Some of the kids may not have, but we're gonna teach you about the word stigma. It's, a, it's, it's when you feel afraid to talk about something, right? Or you feel like um, if you mention something, people are gonna outcast you in the community, right? There's this, this wall of fear um, around you know, an action or a word. And so why is there so much stigma still in the community you think around mental health? I think a lot of strides are being made, but as African-Americans, I think we're still sometimes afraid to open up and share and talk about what we're dealing with from a mental health perspective. And especially when you think about all that we face, especially as black men, from policing to injustices and, and you know, socioeconomic issues that we face. And we know that you are an activist and you've been speaking on behalf of our community for so many years. Can you just talk to us a little bit about that? Well, I, for me, I think there's so many different people that affect our community and influence our community. Uh, who one, don't have the best intent, two, in some cases, don't come from our community, and we allow them to move and, and manipulate how our people think. Uh, one of the things I was gonna also talk about is media. You know, I started a, a, a movie company called Banner Vision, and our goal is to make movies that are based in retraining our people's brains and how we look at ourselves and certain stigmas and certain things that we are afraid of, a lot of the things are just based on old lies. And we have to- You just said a mouthful of Yeah. I mean, and I mean, I'm just gonna be honest with you guys. I mean, from a religious standpoint, 
from a social standpoint, from a physical standpoint, even the way that we eat. A lot of times the way that we eat is because we ate like slaves ate. We're not slaves anymore. We don't have to eat that way. And slavery was not good for black folks. At all. Contrary to what you I hear here. You know, so, and even from a stigma standpoint, they said a lot of the trauma that we face can be passed down genetically. Generational, yeah. And, and so, we, now since we are a generation of information, those things cannot stand anymore. We can't allow them to stand. And we have to stand up to them and, and, and confront them. So for me, I just think that it's important for us to educate people and make sure that we give them the information. And entertainment is not the only way, but one of the ways that we can do that. Absolutely. Thank you, David. So y'all know, again, I said we're here to celebrate 50 years of hip-hop that's coming up. So what is your call to action, Dr. Swain? for our hip hop community and beyond so that we can continue to be healthy and get the help that we need. Well, I think, you know, I can speak for my colleagues at JJ is that we want to see a world where everyone has equal access and that's access to education, access to good health. And part of that starts by bringing the resources to the community. And so we know that we can't do it alone. And so we have to be partners and we have to leverage opportunity and resources where they exist. And then we have to create opportunity and resources. Part of the way that we're doing that, again, is we have booths set up here. We're giving away a lot of free things, et cetera. But that's not gonna help your blood pressure. What's gonna help your blood pressure is showing you where you can get a provider that looks like you. And so we're investing in resources that help people identify providers in their communities so that they can have people that they can talk to about their health issues. Another initiative we have is called Illustrate Change. And when I was going to medical school, we would learn to diagnose different diseases on mannequins and in drawings that were all of, you know, absent of people of color. And we know that certain diseases show up differently, for instance, melanoma on the skin. And so we now have a project where we've partnered with the medical illustrator, where we are now creating illustrations that include people of color. That's going to change the way in which we practice medicine significantly. Because now, not only will physicians know how to recognize certain disease processes in people of color, but patients can see themselves represented, which I think is a big deal. The other effort I think is also, you know, we have screening options. There's a disorder called peripheral artery disease that when I growing up, I knew nothing about, but I knew a lot of people that suffered from it without really consciously knowing what it was. The end result of PAD or peripheral artery disease oftentimes is amputation. And unfortunately in communities of color, more people are being amputated than being revascularized. And so Johnson & Johnson has been able to undercover, underscore the data behind that. And we're now activating several sites in the US where it's bringing free screening where people can now learn whether or not they have peripheral artery disease. And we're not only doing that for PAD, but also other disease processes. So I just named those as examples of how we are taking upon ourselves and assuming the responsibility of bringing forward the resources that will help bridge the gap. I think the buzzword for today will be health equity. It's never been equal but we have a corporate responsibility. Break that down in layman's terms for any kids that's listening. 
Absolutely. So that we can all go to the doctor, right? So, health equity is we're a not way. <laughs> right. So, you know, we can say that we're equal in the sense of you have $2 and I have $2. But if you start out at a deficit of $20, even though you have $2, that two dollars is only gonna create a deficit of eighteen dollars. You're already in debt. You're still in debt. Whereas I get the two dollars and I have no debt, I'm two dollars richer. And so that's the challenge that we face across America. We have a group of people who start out at with a deficit. And so we have to figure out a way to bring in resources to help build that gap where the level field or the field is leveled so that everybody has an equal access to care. And that includes physical health, but more importantly here, as we're talking about today, mental health. Yeah, and that's what the National Urban League is doing. That's why they have Community Day, right? To bring these resources to the community. David, what is your call to action, my brother, for the hip hop community and those beyond as it relates to mental health? Well, what I'll say is, I think my call to action might not necessarily be to hip hop. It would be to one, just the everyday person. Okay. Because I can I can make a call to action to corporate and to hip hop, but the real truth is whether the everyday person knows it, all revolutions, all corporate entities, the base is the people who pay for it. No doubt. So what I was saying is to demand more and to demand better, to make sure that you educate yourself and then I would say we sit here on stage or, or we sit when we have conversations in front of people and we talk about the things that we want to be better, but we put our money in other places. I think it's time for us to start marketing towards mental health. Start supporting people. If it's something that you want to do, start supporting those people and putting your money behind people who support that. Like, I always wondered, I was like, man, when I went to people who I wanted to work with from a corporate standpoint, the people who, the lifestyles that I was living, I was like, why can I get money from them? The people who are giving me money are the people who are usually in something that's detrimental to my community. Mm, preach. Why is it so hard for me to not get support from places that I am proud to represent, companies that I'm, rep uh, that I'm proud to represent, uh, products that I'm, I'm proud to represent so i'll say anything that the people demand artists and the corporate structures will follow you so you demand more and it'll come to you yes i love that and, and my last question because this is about hip-hop 50 season one of the mevo show is dedicated to hip-hop turning 50. david banner when did you fall in love with hip-hop um I had a, a, I had a, when I was in the sixth grade, um, one of the funny things about me is when I started rapping, and I hope I'm not dating myself, um, they, but it wasn't as long ago as you, I mean, Cole, I know you know this, they were not playing rap on the radio in Mississippi where I was from, well, actually in the South. It was crazy because if you look at, if you look at the stuff that we were listening to, we were listening to A-Ball, FJG, 3-6 Mafia, that kind of stuff. They were not playing that kind of stuff. I mean, we were playing it in our cars, but the radios were not representing what we were playing in our cars. 
So like in the sixth grade, I had an uncle that moved from the north and he brought all these hip hop records. And uh, y'all don't go back and tell none of my old rivals. But we used to battle out, you know, in, in, in the school courtyard. And since none of them had heard none of them records, I used to take the verses out with them records, man. Until I started writing my own stuff. But it was in the sixth grade. And at that time, uh, Jackson, Mississippi was the murder capital of the United States. And hip hop gave me an escape. And that was one of the things that I was proud of with my first album, Mississippi the Album. Yeah, it may have been a little rough around the edges, but it gave people an opportunity to travel to Mississippi. You know, I know some people at the time who had come back to see their grandmothers. They used to travel through, you know, my album. I never forget. The first time I went to Chicago after my album was released, there was not one album in the whole city of Chicago. And I know that was because of the black migration. So I'll say, you know, in the sixth grade, hip hop gave me an opportunity to travel to another world, to travel to other places and actually be brave. Some things that I couldn't say, maybe NWA said it for me. <laughs> right, I love that, I love that. Uh, and we got uh, Dr. Swain over here looking like a hip hop run DMC ad. Y'all see this dude's outfit? He don't look like no heart surgeon. I love it. And, and we've asked you this question before on the Mebo show, but what? give me some iconic moment in hip hop history that you can never forget or that kind of inspired you. You know, I, they gave me a hard time when I said this the last time, but I'm going to stick with it. Um, you know, growing up, my, my parents were really strict in regards to what I could listen to. And But in 1993, <laughs> I got a chance to listen to Players Ball. Which is the first record I ever worked on. Okay. And so for those who don't know, Players Ball uh, was one of the first singles by Outkast. And being from Atlanta, that was like kind of like the anthem. And as they came on and they did AT Aliens, uh, these were songs that just kind of resonated. So being at the middle school dance and in high school, and even went on to college, when you would hear those songs come on, like you could be talking to somebody in the middle of answering a pager at that time. Um, but when those songs came on, you would just stop what you're doing. And then when, you know, people pledged, you would hear people like, you know, stepping to the different songs and it just brought hip hop to life for me. And now, even when I hear those songs, it takes me back to those moments. And, you know, if we want to relate it to why we're here today, hip hop represented an opportunity of expression and activity. And so I think that the music that I grew up around, every time you heard it, you danced and you moved around. And so when people ask, how can I get my blood pressure lower? Like part of it is activity. Yeah. And so if we played more music and moved around and, and became more active, those are just starting points of how you can become more healthy in, the, in a way. So, and I think, you know, also just listening to music, it helps my mental health. And so let's just kind of take those small nuggets and start out simple. Yeah, music is definitely healing and therapeutic. I was in a dance group back in Atlanta back in the day, and I grew up listening to groups like Sugar Hill Gang and Africa Bambada. And in, in the 90s, I just went to a concert that DJ Cassidy did, but everybody from like, EPMD was on there and Nina Dane and you know all these incredible groups of, of the 90s when I was in college so been loving hip-hop for a long time but 
This has been such an inspiring conversation. I appreciate y'all for being here today for the Mebo Show. The Mebo Show is available as a podcast on YouTube. So please, if you didn't anybody watch YouTube, y'all go to YouTube, subscribe to the Mebo Show. Also, if you just like audio, you can listen to it on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, iHeart, you name it. We are everywhere. And and we're really trying to do something positive for our community. So please spread the word. Be intentional about it. If you need help and resources, you can go to my foundation's website, silencetoshame.com. Make sure you check out Johnson & Johnson and all the great things that they're doing in the community around mental health. And I just want to end on one note. I want to thank everybody at um, Christian, my girl at National Urban League, and her team, again, Kim and her team at J&J, Radio 1 Houston, some of my old colleagues. Shout out to y'all. I appreciate you. So just do me one favor. Say, I am love. Well, a little bit louder. I am love. I am love. I am joy. I am joy. I am peace. I am peace. I am enough. I am enough. Thank you so much, y'all. Give it up for David Banner, Dr. Swain. I am your host of the Mebo Show, Shanti Dice. God bless you. Yep. I just want to say one thing before I leave. Just don't be afraid to talk to somebody, whoever it may be. Like we fight a lot of these battles alone. Just even if you got to pick up the phone and call a hotline, if you got to call a friend, just don't be afraid to talk to somebody. That's what I say. You don't have to do it alone. Thank you. 988 is that hotline number. All right, y'all give it up for our guest today. Thank you.